1: Everyone, and welcome to the Engadget podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, and my usual co host, Devendra, is still out. So today I have the absolute pleasure of having senior writer Sam Rutherford, who's making a face right now as if he doesn't believe me when I say this. Uh, Sam is joining me as guest co host. Hey, Sam.
2: Hey, how you doing? I, I heard a little playful joking in there, okay? I, I get it, I understand. It's not-
1: not a joke as i actually appreciate when you're here uh today of course, we're here to talk glad, about glad to be here i know second episode in a row that we're talking about foldables and that's i think because it is full boy summer flip boy summer whatever you call it and sam this week published uh his review of the pixel fold on engadget.com we also have a special guest uh to talk about that uh joining us later in this episode and then we have plenty of other news as usual to dig through As always, so if you're enjoying the show, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else you can leave, I guess, podcast reviews, you know, let people find out about us. And if you have time, Thursday mornings at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern, we do a live stream of the recording of this podcast. It's usually a fun time. We uh, talk to you directly. We answer questions, say hello to our growing and friendly, vibey community of uh, audience members. It's really a good time. Uh, Come hang out then. So today, our main topic is the Pixel Fold review, but also the state of foldables, now that I think we've had a, an opportunity to review a few non-Samsung foldables here in the U.S. And joining us, making his Engadget podcast debut. And I'm saying this again, if you've been on the live stream, you've seen me hype this up already, but like stepping into the ring over in the eastern corner, all the way in Brooklyn, Mr. Julian Chokatsu, the senior commerce editor at Wired. Hey, it's Julian.
3: Hey, thank you for having me on the show
1: dang, I give you such a hype, like, entrance. Yeah, what an intro. I'm sorry, like,
3: I, I'm a very like, uh, low-key, <laughs> quiet person, so <laughs> I appreciate it, though. It's very, it's very, it was very good.
1: I know. Uh, full disclosure for everyone that's listening, um, Julian Chokatsu's brother, Joel Chokatsu, is also an Engadget team member. Uh, Joel Chokatsu works for us as a video producer, so just, like, want to disclaim that right there, but we have known Julian for years. Me, Sam, Julian, and former Engadgeter slash persona non grata, Chris. Alaska, uh, is a is a, we're a group of friends. Uh, we've known each other over the years from the industry. So while Julian may just be making his first appearance on the podcast, uh, he's been there in our hearts the whole time. So, you know, and uh, the, the benefit of having friends like this is when you review a product like the Pixel Fold, you're all digging into it together. Uh, I want to talk about first Sam's review, because, of course, we start with Engadget's review. Why would we start with Wired's? Um, Sam, Tell me what your overall thought about the Pixel Fold is.
2: Sure. I, I, I really like the design. I think, you know, I, uh, I'm i going to do the, the whole ESPN company man thing. I want to you, you get the little uh, uh, noise, ESPN noise, dah, 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 in the background. So yeah. I got a chance to interview uh, the some of the product managers uh, for the Pixel Fold um, ahead of the review. And so I was able to get, like, you know, a little bit uh, more of a deeper insight on what went into really making the whole fixed pixel fold work and why, you know, it's shaped differently than the galaxy Z fold. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in that, go check that out on the site, but I, I think it really comes down to the hinge, the placement and that aspect ratio of the screen, because it makes such a huge difference, you know, by moving the hinges to like the very edge of the, of, of the device, you know, they were able to create something that folds completely flat, Um, there is a crease, but it's not really that noticeable. I don't know, you know, Julian, I don't know how you feel like,
3: did you, did the crease bother you? Uh, no creases, I feel like are one of those things very much like the notch where a lot of people talked about it and most people probably didn't really care that much. Um, Right. Like, you know, it's there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like who, who's complaining about the notch on the iPhone, like three years, four years
2: in, like no one's saying anything. Right.
3: And I mean, right. you know, once you're using an app, it just kind of disappears. So, um, I, you mm-hmm. know, creases haven't really bothered me that much. Um, but, you know, it's the shape of the Fold that really just sealed the deal for me in terms of like, you know, usability. Um, and, I, and I guess I didn't really understand that until I started using the Fold because, you know, with the with the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4, like that shape is all I knew uh, in terms of the book-like Fold fac- form factor. and. When they shrank it on the fold, uh, the pixel fold, I should say, there's too many folds. Um, It just makes it so much easier to reach with your hands. The apps generally just look way nicer because there's way more width. And so everything looks like it's not scrunched up like it is on the uh, on the Samsung fold. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know that that was like the main thing that just set it apart and was like okay I could use this as my main phone. So yeah, you
1: don't mean shrank it on the Pixel Fold. You mean that the Samsung one is the shrunken one, right? I, I just want to make sure.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess shrunk in different ways. Um, Samsung is like taller, and so the the screen looks narrower, and and so it's I like, see what you are saying. You know, compressed, but, almost, but the skinniness
2: makes it feel cramped.
3: Yes. Um, yeah. A, lo- a lot. of times.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you you made you made a good point, and it's like. Especially in the US, we, we don't have a lot of the Oppos or the Xiaomi's who are doing foldable phones. We don't have those as like a viable option for us. And so it's finally nice to have something that you can really like do a proper compare contrast that like, hey, now there's options. And I think for me, what it comes down to is uh, I, I love the, the design, the the aspect ratio of the thing. Even just like opening it up and you getting a landscape view, that's so much better for watching videos. Um, and then I love the camera's. Putting a 5X optical zoom, it's like this is one of my biggest complaints about the Z Fold 4 is that Samsung kind of cut corners on the camera module compared to like the Galaxy S20, uh, you know, S22 Ultra line. Um, And so, you know, I really want that to be, you know, we're paying $1,800 for a phone. You don't want to feel FOMO about like the, the capabilities, although that does come into a little bit of a play here because the Pixel Fold has the Tensor G2 chip and i think that's one of my biggest questions i didn't don't get into it too much in the review because like you know there's only so many times you can hammer on a phone for being really expensive but um I, I, it's like you you sort of have to question the timing because I think everybody is just like Google hasn't said it officially, but everyone's kind of expecting there'd be a Tensor G3 chip this year. And so it's like, why didn't the Pixel Fold come out in the fall when at least, hey, even if you did everything else the same, but you had a new chip, I think people would just feel a little bit better about that pricing, which is still, you know, pretty, uh, pretty high.
1: I have a question and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but like, do you think... You, Sam, who currently who bought his own Galaxy Z Fold four, are you about to tr- give it all up for the Pixel Fold? It's like, are you about to switch? Is it better? Is the Pixel Fold better?
2: So, I mean, if if you're gonna like force me to rank it, I think it's like a one A one B situation here, where like I think both phones definitely have their thing. Although, I, I mean, do, definitely do not buy a Z Fold now. Um, you know, Sam, there's a Samsung Unpacked coming up. Just wait to see what you know what they announced there. But I mean. It's kind of weird. In, like, an ideal world, I would like uh, the design of the Pixel Fold and its cameras, but I want better performance and, a you know, a little bit – a few more of those, like, nice samsung touches. I think the, like, the fingerprint sensor on the Z Fold 4 is just, like – it doesn't stick out, and it's a little bit easier to use personally, um, and so, like, there's some – other design aspects that I still appreciate about the Z Fold line. But it's like the, the perfect foldable for me
3: is a mix of those two phones. Um, yeah.
1: Julian, do you main a, a foldable? I don't remember. No. You mean a Pixel though, right?
3: I, I main a Pixel. I don't main a foldable. The, when after using the Pixel Fold, I was like, okay, maybe I'll main this. Uh, at least for a mm-hmm. good length of time. Um, because, and, and I think the key thing is um, the front screen is, you know, in my review, I was talking about how... For you know, for the most the, the mo- amount of time that you're going to be using a, a foldable device, you're going to be spending a lot of time on that front screen because you know whenever you're walking mm. around just using the phone, you're not going to have time to really open it up and use it. And with the Samsung foldable, I never felt like I was really all that comfortable using the front screen like permanently all the time because it was so narrow. Um, but that was not the case at all with the the Pixel Fold. Like it is almost like a normal android phone screen um Mm -hmm. and it's relatively thin at least a little thinner than the samsung i think and it didn't feel too cumbersome to use in that state and so i think that's what sort of made it like okay i actually can use this thing for a long period of time and not feel annoyed about it and then getting the benefit of opening it up and super easy multitasking with split screen and such um that just just like all right, well this this is like a perfect phone in in my eyes and in some ways of just like I can do more with it. It adds some functionality. Uh, I mean, of course, there's a lot of you know problems in terms of durability. We don't know really how it'll last over time uh, since it's Google's first entry and it took Samsung several years to perfect that. Um, so I'm sure. I'm I'm just waiting for something to happen that it'll, it'll just suddenly die on me. So, but who knows?
2: I think that's for me, that's like the biggest like driving force of like why I would like want to switch to a pixel fold because it's like I've had, you know, we I do my yearly like long-term durability report on the, the Z fold series. So I wanted to see how Google is. I really want to use that phone for like a year straight to like see how it holds up. Cause I don't use cases or anything. So like between, you know, that built-in screen protector, which is similar, like, you know, to what Samsung does, um you know, see if that bubbles up or starts peeling away after six to eight months like I've experienced on previous Samsungs.
1: Yeah, my brain is going in a million directions right now, but you're, you're, you're one of the directions is this. Um, you mentioned, I think in a previous conversation, or actually Mr. Mobile in our last episode brought this up, which is, and it is a very good point that applies here too, with the pixel fold, because, um, durability remains a concern with all foldable phones, whether it's the motor plus or any of Samsung's or the pixel fold. One advantage that Samsung has with it being the established name in the space here in the U S is that when you, something breaks, it might be a little bit easier to find parts to replace it than say a motor razor plus or a pixel fold. Um, so we also saw this week <laughs> that I I fixed it. Uh, it we'll help uh, Pixel Fold owners fix r- repair hardware issues uh, if anything happens. Sam, I I know this isn't something that you can do because you, like, haven't broken the Pixel Fold, hopefully. But you had experience getting your Z Fold 4 fixed before, like a non... Or, or like a Z Fold three, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. but a non standard phone. Do you think you'll run into similar issues like that? And uh, Julian, have you have you like thought about what the process is, or have you like done any uh, research to see what the process would be like if you broke the Pixel Fold and how to get it fixed? Um, Let's start, Julian.
3: I mean, I I haven't. I I, I know of like the the I fix it plan, and um, you know, historically with with some of these manufacturers, suddenly you know after people started talking more about repair laws, uh, bringing Opportunities for people to try and fix their own devices. Uh, I think it's going to be a little complicated. With, I mean, you know, Google has a history of just generally not having the best aftercare service. I'd say, uh, or like it's at least not anywhere near as polished as something like a mega company that sells millions and millions of products, like Samsung and Apple. Um, but I think you know, uh, it's kind of like baby steps and. A slow learn, like you know, they're, they're going to gradually build up, and hopefully it'll get better over time. Um, But with any new product, especially, I feel like you're going to not be in an amazing place if you break your Pixel Fold immediately. So maybe just baby that thing for for a couple months at, <laughs> at the very least.
1: Or or don't buy it. Don't buy it. Or, or don't people. buy it. Yeah.
3: Or don't buy it. You could always <laughs> buy it next year, or maybe just wait for the Pixel Fold too, because it is a first gen device. Sam, you were saying. So it's like
2: interesting because like obviously Google doesn't have the same reach as Apple with like having, you know, Apple has stores everywhere and there's only two Google retail stores and they're both of them are in New York city. So it's like, you know, you're not, you know, you have to, you have to depend on that partnership with like, you know, I fix it or, you know, Samsung partners with you break, I and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting. That's, that's definitely one of the trials and tribulations of like holding of owning a foldable phone. It's like, you always have that in the back of the mind. It's like, if something goes wrong, it could be a real pain in the ass to fix it. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's definitely unfortunate. Um,
1: well, so it makes it very clear to me why uh, Google went with the fold format for its debut foldable as opposed to a flip because mm. these sorts of early issues do be clear the, I fix it a hardware repair program for the Google Pixel Fold. is a self-repair program, by the way. You're not like taking it to a store and they're gonna do everything for you. It's still like a self-repair thing, part of these sorts of regulations. So anyone that is gonna do that is someone with some technical know-how, hopefully, or is comfortable at least uh, confronting that situation. And that's more of the sort of target audience for a device like the Fold as opposed to, and you named Charlie in our chat brought up this point earlier, that the flip style folding phone may be a bit more uh, popular with the mainstream audience in future. Like this Fold style thing may always have appeal only to uh real enthusiasts or like again at the price point sam i want to bring back that point you brought up that like 1800 dollars for a device that you only use as a tablet maybe i don't know 30 percent of the time it's is it's a lot it's it's not gonna really branch out to the mainstream audience uh julian i think you also reviewed the motor razor plus correct yes so do you sense a theme here because after i looked at like last week's episode and this week's episode the theme that I'm seeing is that, like, hey, larger external displays, man. Like, that's uh, that helps, right? And it helps not only in terms of using the phone when it's closed and minimizing that need to open up the phone, but also with battery life. Did you see, like, in general, what was the battery life experience on the Pixel Fold for you, Julian?
3: Uh, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy remarkable. It was, you know, sufficient, I'd say. It it for my for my purposes, it, it, you know, lasted the full day and a little bit more, usually. Um definitely no battery anxiety or anything like that, especially compared to like a flip phone or flip folding phone. I think those typically have much smaller batteries, so they're a little uh lackluster, but uh, I mean, I've never had issues with battery life, even on something like the Z, the Z Fold 4. Um, so I think that the larger style ones definitely have a, that benefit of just having the larger size. Sam? Yeah. And I was going to say, it's interesting
2: because uh, Julian kind of mentioned this before, but like, because the outside screen on the Pixel Fold is so much bigger, you actually don't, I find that I don't over- Open it as much or flip back and forth as I do on the Z Fold because I can just do a lot more on the outside screen. And I definitely think that helps to preserve a little bit of that battery life, but it's also kind of nice because it really like, hey, for most stuff, the outside screen is fine, but like you, you, you feel like opening the fold is like more of an occasion on the pixel. Um, just because it's like, hey, I'm gonna open it because I want to watch a movie and I want a bigger screen, or hey, I want to open it because I want to do multitasking, and then I open it up, I don't have to rotate it because it's already has that landscape mode, which is like better for a side by side multitasking view, anyways. And so it's like it, it really plays into that, like, hey, you know, there's some battery savings uh, efficiencies because of that, but it also just you know changes the kind of usability and the way you use the phone. And then, you know, you're also talking about how, you know, Google didn't, maybe didn't want to do a flip style phone first. And I think that is also kind of plays into the Google's strategy because, you know, we've seen like Android 12L, it's like, you know, kind of like those features are trickling onto devices now. And so I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a big surprise that like, hey, the Pixel Fold and the Pixel tablet came out in the same month because, hey, this is part of Google's push to really... Support big screen devices more than they have in the past. And so I think this is part of it. And then, you know, who knows if we'll get a pixel flip? Uh, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I actually, you know, I'm not sure it's as important for Google as a
3: like device manufacturer to make a flip style foldable. You know, I, I would really I, like to see. Oh, sorry.
1: I just quick point that I would love a pixel flip, but go on, Julia. I
3: mean, I, w- I would like a pixel flip and i think that would do really well especially with like you know what the pixels known for a slightly more affordable price especially with like a like a flip folding phone with a good camera because the razors cameras Mm -hmm. are you know cameras Mm -hmm. um so uh i just think that that would be very interesting and, and a surefire win almost but at the same time um you know Google is constantly talking about how smartphone consumption in terms of like people sitting and using their phones are increasing, uh, but people aren't buying as many phones as they used to, uh, or upgrading as often. And I think people are spending more times on their phone and they probably want to use that on a more comfortable, larger screen. And something like a flip might just not be that priority right now where, you know, it's still going to be a kind of a normal, smaller screen than a fold might be, so um or like a tablet might be. So, I think that's sort of what they're trying to also play on and 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 get more people to just enjoy the screen that they're using, which is going to be larger.
1: Speaking of both the tablet and the Pixel Fold, Sam, you brought up the point about multitasking when you want it. What's the what's that multitasking experience like for me? I think they haven't ironed out all the kinks, but I think. You know, you you know, the Android 12 L slash Android L interface a little better than I do. Is it any good? I mean, like, do you, do you would you spend a lot of time on it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think
2: the one thing that like Google is missing is like the ability to like create app pairs where you can just instantly launch two apps side by side. But for the standard multitasking uh, process, it's pretty straightforward. Um, there's like a kind of hidden taskbar that like appears if you just do like a quick swipe up from the bottom. Uh, it's not quite like the full swipe up and hold that you would do for like to get see recent apps. So you do a quick swipe up, you get a little taskbar, and then you can have, you know, your it's basically what your home row is on the outside, but you kind of pick that, uh, you flip it up and then you can pick, you know, hey, I can drag an icon up to the left or the right and you'd launch right into multitasking mode and then the task bar just appears. So you're just, you know, there's nothing in the way. And I think it's a pretty straightforward thing. I do think you do have a point about like, this whole idea of multitasking on a phone is still relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, it didn't really become an issue or a thought process until the Z fold came about. And so, you know, you see Google kind of doing their own approach to the taskbar versus Samsung, which is like more of a kind of desktop style taskbar on the Z fold. Right. Um, and so there's a little bit of like interesting approach. And I think both of them work. And I don't really think that is, I, I don't really have an issue with e- either of those. I think the bigger issue is um uh having apps that don't they're not really changing the way multitasking works so you really have to like you're beholden on the developers to like add new uis or tabletop modes or just different sorts of optimizations adaptive resolutions for foldable devices and i think because google is you know uh, they make android but they also make the pixel fold they were able to like you know use a little of their muscle to get hey here have these first party apps have you know really optimize these four foldables and then, you know, because the Pixel Fold exists and now there's two big foldables down the market, you know, maybe developers like, OK, hey, we're getting closer to where I need to start caring more about developing or optimizing my apps for foldable devices.
3: Yeah. And and when an app does support that, like, view, the, the large screen view, it's amazing. Like, it, it yes, really totally. is like, and, wow, that's you, And awesome. you really appreciate, you know, you, you appreciate
2: app development more a little bit in terms of like oh, hey, I'm dragging and dropping something from Google Photos into WhatsApp, and it feels really yep. natural, and you're like, oh, man, this is awesome, and then you think, I wish this was how all apps functioned, and then that, that's not the case. But, you know, hopefully this is like, you know, Google's trying to get the ball rolling on this, and, it, you know, we're definitely still in the early adopter stage, so if you're, like, if you like, sitting there at home and, like, this sounds like too much of, like, an a ch- like annoyance for me, I get it. Like, yeah, totally.
1: Here's my thing. I think that for, and I I know we all know this, I think that for developers to go to the lengths to update their apps and work on, you know, layout and navigation the way we want them to, there's got to be way more adoption of these types of devices, right? 100 So, ra- Right? So Rob Moore in our chat says that they really like their Galaxy Fold but think that the Pixel Fold is just a little better and that they think it's great to see the technology move forward. And that brings me to the thing I really want to talk about this episode, which is the competition we're seeing for Samsung in this space. We are seeing, despite some quirks, despite some flaws, we have some real challengers, according to your headline, Sam, for Samsung in the US right now. The Pixel Fold is really a strong contender. I think the Razer Plus is a Good contender, not necessarily the absolute best. It needs to work on his cameras. Um, but we've got some real competition for Samsung now. So my question for the two of you is, we've got an event coming up. July, late July, I think is what the word out there is. In South Korea, Samsung is expected to unveil more foldable phones. Do you think are we going to see that what like what feature sets are we going to see are there rumors out yet are we going to see larger screens better cameras what is samsung about to do julian go first
3: uh i mean based on some of the few leaks that i've seen and also the past four years of samsung foldables (laughs) i don't think they're really going to do anything drastically different from what they're doing now i think obviously for the the flip the the larger front screen is going to be the the main appeal and draw um, because as we've seen with the razor plus having a functional front screen that can do way more than just, you know, look at tiny little notification icons. I think that's, um, that's going to make the flip, uh, really more useful every day. And again, it goes back to sort of like the pixel fold by improving that front screen. You are just generally making it the whole thing much nicer to use. And so that's going to be, I think the biggest change. but you know, for the fold five, if I assume that's what it's going to be called. Um, it just seems like it's going to be, you know, a finer, refined device from, from last year's one, which is going to be fine. But I feel like coming from the fold, I might be a little disappointed in a Disappoint. way uh, because yeah. yeah, I just... Uh, I'm, I'm,
2: yeah. I'm just like sort of getting that feeling, too, because based on some of the, like, the early... And these are rumors, like these are definitely not, you know, official info, but it seems like, you know... The Galaxy Z Fold Five might have like Samsung might get rid of the gap in between the the phone when it's closed, which is definitely very nice and it's something I appreciate on the Pixel Fold. But it doesn't seem like we're getting of like an aspect ratio or like a huge design change, which I think is what I think more more people wanted to see. It's something I definitely wanted to see, and I'm not sure we're going to get it this year. And it makes me think about like, you know, the development cycles because you know from talking to the the Pixel Fold product managers. Um, like obviously this, this, the pixel fold was like a multi-year, like two, three, maybe four years in development. And obviously like some of the early work didn't necessarily make it on the phone, but like, you're kind of looking at like the product cycle and the timing for that. And you're just like, you know, how, how long ahead does Samsung need to plan to change the design of the phone? Did they, did they not even realize that like there was a different solution to this or like, did they not want to try it because of the expense of like having to retool and all that stuff like that? And so because, you know, Google didn't have any of those, like, previous conceptions, they were able to do something different. I think that is, like, what you really want from the competition because now it's putting more pressure on Samsung to really innovate and, yep. and do that in the future. That said, like, because the Pixel Fold just came out, I don't think that pressure – we're going to see those changes until maybe next year.
1: Next year. Um, I – I think it sounds like uh, people want that gap to go away. That 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 rumor seems to be uh, some like of a feature that might be a popular one. But other than that, it does sound like the Fold Five will look very similar to the Fold Four. And Mark Dell in our chat says Fold Four was already so much like the Fold Three. And I I mean again, it sounds like Samsung is about to you know coast or maybe rest on its uh, right. They they might be squandering I, yeah. their
2: lead, which is like I think exactly. the really disappointing thing is because they've had you know four generations you feel like they would have a little bit more leeway to like really push it and just like dominate that category and they haven't really cemented
3: themselves in that way yet and and it's the it's weird one of the sorry one of the things i wanted to add was like the cameras also like you know i feel like the s23 ultra cameras are actually pretty good but then you use the fold four cameras and you're like uh, you know, like especially yeah, it's, comparing it's to serviceable the Fold. but not what you want, right? Like comparing yeah. all of my photos to the Pixel Fold camera, it was just night and day. And like, you know, it's still fine, but the Pixel Fold is, you know, that, that's a good camera. And it's yeah. weird because normally Samsung is like the
2: company known for hardware, like they were the one doing like 10x optical zooms and stuff like that. And so you kind of uh, like expect that they you know really having across the board like domination in terms of just like the hardware and that's not necessarily the case which is sort of an interesting situation
1: so when we're talking about competition for samsung and it's not just moto and google right now we've got a lot of chinese companies in the past but now we're hearing also OnePlus is working on his first foldable sam you're excited about this
2: yeah and uh, you're just kind of like circling back on what julian said it's like it's really I feel like phones are like getting fun again after like a little bit of time of like, you know, a little sameness. And so obviously we have, uh, you know, Razer has a long overdue. I mean, Moto has a long overdue update for the Razer. And there's still that regular Razer that's coming coming out later this fall. Yeah, uh, we have the Google Pixel Fold. And now there are rumors that OnePlus is going to debut its first foldable phone sometime later this year Um, with a, with a 2K screen. Now, the, you know, 2K screen is not, you know, a feature to get super excited about, but just, like, having more competition is, like, really awesome. And, you know, OnePlus, you know, is do you think there is any room to, like, make it a little bit cheaper? I hope it does. Maybe even just down to $1,500 would be, like, a pretty big step in terms of, like, you know, who can buy a foldable phone. So I'm just really excited to see more foldables. And, you know, 2023 is certainly, certainly turning into a banner year for foldable phones. <laughs>
1: Julian, uh, do you know about this rumor? Is this something that excites you?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw the leak. I mean, it, you know, it looks it looks pretty good. kind of similar to the Fold 4 in some ways. Um, I think my thing is that, like, you know, we complain about phones being the same, and then when the foldables come out, foldables start looking the same. Like, this is an yeah. area of opportunity where you can really do what you want and introduce new styles and concepts and shapes and sizes, and I feel like the worry is, you know people are just going to copy what other people are doing and stick with something. Like the reason why I think the full, the pixel fold kind of works differently is because it does introduce a new size and shape um, that makes it more genuinely easier to use. But if this looks like almost two phones, uh, the OnePlus looks almost like yeah. two phones stuck together. You know, it's very yep. similar to a Samsung, which, but maybe a little better to use. I don't know. Um, but I, I do hope that they actually utilize the opportunity that they, that they have to like actually specialize their devices a bit more.
2: You remember three or four years ago when the big debate was between the Samsung uh, Galaxy Z Fold, the original one, and then the Xiaomi. I mean, not the Xiaomi, the uh, Huawei, uh, the Mate oh, Fold, and so like. Yeah. It's like you have because you have the inward folding screen or the outward bending screen. And like yep. I thought that was yep. a really interesting like thought experiment that we were like getting you to see play out in the real world. It's like does which hinge, you know, bending yep. direction works better. And it seems like the whole inward folding screen, like people decided that was the one that won. But I'm not sure that like that's necessarily the case or, you know, I would love to see you know, a new version of uh, outward folding phone just so we could, you know, see what that is like, you know, two or three years later with better technology.
1: Talking about phones, we forgot. I forgot the Huawei Mate X was the whole thing, and like I really liked that. I liked the outward bending style, and I can't believe I just just now said like the outward bending screen is not gonna work because it's gonna. You, be I a remember we were the in uh,
2: uh, Mobile World Congress, and you were like yes. real jazzed up about that thing.
1: I was so hype. It looked so good. Everything that we were allowed to look at back then. Uh, was great, and then they abandoned that form factor, which that's what I think tells me that that probably doesn't work so well in terms of durability. Um, but yeah, this OnePlus phone, we'll keep an eye on it. Again, the the it's still like reports, uh, not an official uh, announcement. It does look uh like its camera hump on the back is it's in line with OnePlus's design language with that circular hump, I guess if if that's the word we <laughs> use now for it. Uh, more camera-looking, I guess. Um, but that's the only thing that really seems to distinguish it from the Z-fold style of phone. The shape, format, uh, aspect ratio seems to be the same. So give them competition by doing something different. Don't just give them competition by aping them. I think is our message, right?
2: 100%, yeah. And OnePlus's track record in terms of that has not always been the greatest in terms of like just innovation because for, like for years, the whole thing was like, oh, we make flagship phones, but uh, cheaper. Um, And so like, yeah, we'll see. Uh, That said, more competition can't hurt. So,
1: so in the chat, also, uh, uh, our viewers brought up something that I completely forgot. And I think it's funny that we forgot about this. They were like, what about the duo? (laughs) The Surface Duo, do we th- do we think? No, no, no. actually, thank you
2: for bringing that up. The Pixel yeah. Fold is what I wanted the Surface Duo to be all along. Yeah. I, I said it like a long time ago before I got a chance to try the phone. Now it's it's one that this is the phone that Microsoft should have made. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but, but they went with that like dual screen format as opposed to one big flexible folding screen, and they had that hinge in there that they just didn't know how to work around. Um, do we think that format's dead, gone, the dual screen with a hinge in the middle format, uh, both of you?
3: I completely forgot that the duo existed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean... No, never say never. I'm sure. I mean, you know, I don't mind it existing if they decide to bring another version. I think, you know, that type of different types of styles and designs is always going to be appreciated, whether, yeah. you know, they can make it compete on the same level with, with something like the Fold or Samsung's phones. That I think is a different question because at this point in time, it seems like even Microsoft is maybe slightly given up on, on that that design slightly yeah so (laughs) i i don't know what the utility there is for for microsoft but um i don't know i mean i wouldn't be opposed to seeing something new if they if they can you know swing it in certain ways but
2: if microsoft makes a new surface duo they just, just put a foldable screen on it because a lot of the things that they were trying to do is like what the fold actually the pixel fold actually does and it's like yeah okay this is this is where we're going here um and it's like but if you look at, like, some of the original design on the Surface Duo, it's, like, super thin, folds completely yeah. flat. What else does that sound like? And it's, so it's like, uh, yeah, I, I'm i not going to say, like, uh, yeah, never say never, but I think the dual screenness of the Surface Duo is sort of, like, an unfortunate, uh, just, like, a concept that didn't bear out, like... You know, it's like the, the VHS or beta debate. Like VHS eventually here's- won out and it's like I think the the dual screen phone maybe is just like something that like because flexible displays exist is not something mm-hmm. we really need.
1: I think here's the thing that um uh the the dual screen format might have been able to do better and by the way shout out to kp for being the one that brought up the surface duo in the chat um because it's dual screen it didn't need an outside screen because i was there like hey wait, they don't have an outside screen the reason they don't have an outside screen is you can flip it all the way around and leave it at that in that state um and have a so-called outside screen Just flexible displays can't do that yeah, flexible yeah. Displays although that if you remember like the surface
2: duo 2 the big problem was that because the surface duo had an awful camera Um, Yep, the bump. They put a huge camera module on the Surface Duo 2. So if you tried to bend it all the way around to make it, it wouldn't fold flat completely. So it's like they ruined the whole, like one of the best design premises of the original Surface Duo on the 2. And it's just like, oh, you you, you like went full circle, but too far the other direction.
1: Yeah, that bump, that bump, 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 bump just really like got in the whole way of the Surface Duo 2, which was unfortunate. But finally, I, I wanted to also... This the talk of the developers creating apps and and whether you know, um, this is the format that will take off. Got me thinking as well. Do y'all think there is a future where, regardless of whether it's the flip style or the fold style, everyone uses a foldable phone as opposed to the candy bar? Is there a future like that? No. Sam's vigorously shaking well, his head. Well, and-
2: in in the near term, in like the next ten to fifteen years, no. It, like there's, there's no need for it. In the same way that like you know, not everyone is going to like not everyone uses dual screen monitors at home. Right. Like you like I love it. I mean, I'm pretty sure Julian has dual monitors. And so like a lot of like, you know, if you're really like invested in having like a nice desk or like a desktop setup, then that's something you do. But like, is it required? Absolutely not. Um, It's it's really for the people who want like the fancy power user device. Um, And it's it's that like upgrade option for if you think you want to do that
1: that's the fold right
2: yeah yeah for 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 foldables yeah i think the 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 traditional like glass uh candy bar will be around for for a long long time
3: my 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 dream would be if they could bring the current flagships down to like 500 bucks and then replace the high-end flagships that are a thousand (laughs) dollars right now with all the folds and flips and i I love your optimism yeah i know that's that's a good
1: dream (laughs) (laughs) uh so but how what do we think the mix will be in the future do we think that foldables like the flip or the fold are doomed to be or more like oh, no we think I, we think I, I it'll think, come out to like I think 50 50 style
2: foldables will continue to grow i think I, maybe like i'm just throwing out some ballpark numbers but like Damn. maybe you have 20 percent of the population has like a foldable like the pixel fold or the z fold and then to me, the, the flip style foldables, those get classified in with like your traditional glass candy bars. It's just a different version of that because it doesn't do anything differently. It's just, you know, they're cuter, they're more they're so more compact. And I think, mm. you know, once if the, you can make those flip style foldables, you know, the same price as this, you know, and they pretty much are already the same price as a regular glass candy bar, then that's just like a, a style play, right? Um, and so I think you you know twenty percent on the big flexible foldable phones, and then you have the rest of the eighty uh, percent split between flip foldables and glass candy bars or whatever.
1: All right, would be you think? would
3: be nice to get some new uh, some new shapes and sizes though. Uh, you know rollable screens. You know maybe anyone scrollable. I don't know.
1: Take me back to the Nokia, the Wild West of Nokia phones that shaped that were shaped like all kinds of weird things: the circle phones, the lipstick-shaped phones, the ones that look like. I don't know Jenga blocks. I mean
3: that's like right. the the nice thing about folding phones is that you can have almost whatever you want like whatever the company wants to make they they have that opportunity and so I think this is why it's kind of an exciting time because there are potentially companies making weird shapes that are you know about to come on the market in the next 2 to 3 years and obviously durability will always be a concern there but you know, it, it'll be. It's like the, It's like going back in time to the time where we had weird shapes and sizes and different types of phones that you could recognize immediately, uh, instead of just like a standard rectangle.
2: I love the cycle where it's like. We we go through the thing. It's like, oh, phone, phones are boring, and then like two years later, like something happens, like oh, phones are phones are fun again, and then we, ah. you know, two another two years ago, phones are boring again, and then like ah. so it's like you know it's, it's I like I like the ups and downs. I think it's interesting, yeah. But I I agree completely,
1: and that's why we do what we do, Julian. Uh, I just wanted you to know that buddy three hundred five love in the chat says Julian for president oh, wow. because of your ideas of bringing prices down. So. <laughs> Congratulations! I think, uh, I, think I, I know think my talking points. <laughs> Your talking points. Uh, that makes you a good pro- politician. Politician. So, president. There you go. Um, it, we're. Uh, I think we talked a lot. Uh, we won't know really what else uh, to expect from Samsung until the event itself, Galaxy Unpacked, late July. I think it's uh, currently the date that they have shared. Um, so definitely come back to Engadget, or I guess you can casually skimwire.com for uh, coverage of Samsung's next event. Julian, thank you as always for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much I for having have me. have you back soon.
3: Yeah, thank you. This was fun.
1: So somewhat related to uh, our talk about the Pixel Fold, this week in other news, we heard that Google is no longer building its own augmented reality glasses. you remember the, remember project, I guess Iris, remember the, the glasses that would translate like what people were saying? Do, like that thing, apparently Google's no longer working on it. Uh, and it's, cho- it's chosen to focus on AR software instead, which I am extremely bummed about. Um, I guess chalk one up for the Google graveyard, right, Sam?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's sad just because it's like, I think everyone can see where this whole MR like transition is going. First we get the headsets, they're big and clunky and they look weird and even the Vision Pro like whatever. Uh it's not what you it's not the end goal. Like everyone wants either glasses or, you know, contacts if they ever figure that out in a feasible way where you can, you know, you can get directions or you can see text, but it doesn't look like you're wearing a weird thing on your face. Um so to see that like someone's getting out of the game is a little disheartening that said you know it could be that the strategy is like you know google you know what is google known for best software right they're gonna let they're gonna focus on software and let the hardware people come up with that and then maybe you know they'll jump back in um at a a later date
1: i i mean yeah look at they, they did announce at io that they're working on an android xr program for samsung's xr uh, xr wearable devices um but they didn't share a lot of details uh i mean like look speaking of the google graveyard there are a lot of things in there uh including daydream don't forget daydream Daydream vr was in there um what do we well i think things could come out of the graveyard let's just say uh, but the but this augmented reality glasses that we saw two IOs ago is now, you know, f- freshly buried. Uh, but I did want to use this opportunity to ask everyone listening or watching or tuning in, uh, send us your favorite Google Graveyard members, the ones you miss the most, the products in there that you either wish would come back or you thought were sent there too early or took too long to even get there. Uh, send us your thoughts, com or leave them on the live chat if you're watching now. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to
2: chime in with my response on that. I'm, I'm still slightly story? upset about Stadia. I think
1: oh. G- Google didn't
2: give Stadia the support it needed, and that makes me sad.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do agree with you on that, but I think it's it's tricky. They, get, they did give Stadia a run, though. You know what I mean? Like, I think they did. I don't know if it's a timing thing. Like, Google Glass was definitely, like, ahead of its time, it felt like, but then, like, Stadia, they tried, and they were, like, in the zone where game pass was happening and like everyone was really hype about cloud gaming and 5g but then nothing came of stadia i feel now moving on to google in my mind google's biggest rival (laughs) apple uh this week apple was kind of in a in a move that's very un-apple like it posted the entire first episode of a show silo on twitter it this is a show that Sam's been telling me to watch for a while, and I've been meaning it. to watch. It sounds very interesting. I know, I know. <laughs> Why?
2: <laughs> just, just watch it. Just, just stop, stop staying, stop telling. Tell me about how I tell you to watch it. Just go watch it.
1: I mean, it's on. It's on Twitter now. I guess I gotta watch it. This is so funny on so many levels. First of all, it, it's interesting marketing to be like we believe in this show so much that we will show you the entire episode on Twitter publicly no one needs to pay you can watch it and then i think they think they will you know entice people to pay for a tv plus subscription to watch the rest of the series interesting choice also to use silo as a show right why not ted lasso why not you know something else they must believe in their pilot um, and this feels like it's uh, it's like it's pirating not pirating but it's like the the pirating people are like whoa all right Okay, you just killed us for the first episode, I guess. Um, Sam, what do you think? I remember you had like some comments during this. Yeah,
2: time. I mean, Silo is a great show, but I think this is like does two things. Number one, it's like what's the best publicity? Like you make something freely available, and then you get people to talk about it, and that you know releasing Silo on Twitter does that a hundred percent. But it almost to me, this almost feels like the whole like remember back when Apple was first getting into like original TV content and people were like, I don't know if Apple can do it. Like they're a hardware company. Like, do you know, are they going to be able to manage, you know, it's making a phone is not the same thing as making a show. Like there's, you know, it's more much more of an emotional process. And I think for them to be doing this is kind of like, hey, Apple TV is like here. It's like there's a lot of good shows and like. We're we're so proud of our stuff that like we can we can tease a great show like Silo like this by making it freely available, and then hey, if you like it, you're gonna probably gonna want to finish it up, and maybe you you know pay for an Apple TV subscription.
1: I I also think it's uh interesting they chose Twitter as the platform, and I think this also speaks a little to Twitter's endurance still uh, in the space, and it's partly because I mean yeah you know, why why do Twitter because Twitter is still where most of the users are i mean look at mastodon look at blue sky we wish those things would take off but the user base is just not anywhere near twitter's level and twitter is so much more shareable easily accessible if anyone wants to watch this first episode of silo they don't need really a twitter account i don't believe until elon musk listens to this and decides to change policy i guess but you know it's a commentary both on apple and twitter at this point this one story manages to cover yeah, two it, things
2: and you were saying before how like you know apple is google's biggest competitor and it's like oh there's a probably good reason they didn't put it on youtube um mm, because mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
1: so yeah that's a good point i was like where else would they put it i guess vimeo vimeo's over here like bruh bruh bruh, bruh, <laughs> yeah, we, bruh, bruh, hey, bruh hey
2: don't Africa. forget about us we exist
1: <laughs> next thing you know crunchyroll is like ohio
2: <laughs> you anyway. just wanted to say ohio <laughs>
1: I just want to see oh, because I must no. Anyway, uh so that was just really funny to see. Uh this week also in other news we heard about, and this one you might be interested to learn that I got very confused with this acronym, the SAE. Uh, it's creating a standardized version of Tesla's EV charging plug. Uh, Sam, you're more of a car person than I am. I don't know if you've been considering buying an EV or a hybrid sort of, but have you heard of the SAE? Do you know what it is?
2: They're just like a standards body. And so like right now, the big thing is like a lot of, I mean, just today, um, uh, Polestar announced that they're adopting the NACS charger, which was designed by Tesla. And so basically uh, you know, we're having sort of a diverging thing in terms of um, Europe is sticking with the CCS2 charger uh, for their like universal charging standard. Whereas a lot of the American uh, companies, um, or, you know, at least in America, everyone is sort of kind of glomming onto the NACS charging adapter, which was designed by Tesla. And so you still want something, you know, for a country, for cars that are available in both countries. It'd be nice to have like, you know, a charger that works with everything and i think that's kind of what they're trying to do with this but you know it only exists because you know we're we're sort of having that diverging choice um of standards charging standards when it comes to like uh europe versus north america
1: to be clear when we were talking about this story i got very confused i thought sae i mixed it up with the uae and i was like oh i guess the emirates really invested in ev like they're very (laughs) I'm like, All right. Uh, and I, I've been searching and clicking through links for the last like minute or so. I still can't find what SAE stands for. Uh, so if y'all know, you all know, you hit me up in the chat. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think this is it, the EV industry has the potential to kind of go the way the smart home industry did, although with vehicles is a little different from like appliances where there's just so many different types of uh, gadgets you could have in your home so the fragmentation is not going to be as bad but i think you're right like standardization in different countries is going to help uh with ev adoption and and yeah and, and in
2: general products. this is like a, just a really good step in terms in terms of making evs less complicated and more approachable because you know right now you have to like worry about like you know if Like the especially in North America, the Tesla Tesla supercharging network is the by far the biggest, you know, EV charging network around. And it's like people right now you have to think about like, oh, what car do I have? What charger do I have? Are they going to necessarily work together? Whereas, hey, if we can have, you know, one charger, like no one thinks about going to a gas station, be like, oh, is the pump going to work on my car? You know, we're trying to get to that point with EVs. And, you know, pretty it seems like pretty soon in the next couple of years, everything will, at least depending on like, in a specific large region, everything will just be, hey, one charger works with every car. You don't have to think about it. And that's you know a really good step towards just general usability.
1: That's something we're going to have to keep paying attention to as well. Um, moving on this week, we also had a theme of overall just improvements to parental controls in apps and social networks that our kids – I'm sure are uh very into these days. Starting with TikTok, um, just a small update this week, really, that the family pairing feature that was introduced back in 2020 as a way to let parents uh be able to link to their kids' accounts and then remotely remotely disable direct messages, setting screen time limits, enable restricted content modes. Um, this week basically it combined uh a feature or two features uh that will just make it easier for parents to remotely filter out videos from their kids' uh Uh, TikToks uh, with specific words or hashtags and it's kind of I think given everything that's going around about Colleen Ballinger recently feels thematic feels like this is something that like the social networks like TikTok are paying attention to Um, Facebook also announced that it's adding parental controls tools to messenger it will allow parents to see who can message their kids and this is just like the first set of tools that are coming to a family center uh it will help you see and control how your teenage kids are using messengers, see how much time they spend on the app uh and also their privacy and safety settings sam this is Actually, this couple of news items this week got me thinking we should do a parenting and tech related episode on the podcast. And I would love for you and Dev and other parents from the team to be on there and hash things out. Because I think y'all have a lot of great tips for other parents that might be tuning into this show. But also, y'all have different philosophies, I think. On. on
2: yeah, I mean, my, my you know, my kid is still young enough where, like, he doesn't have his own device. Like, and he's, he's not even two yet, um, but he will be soon. So, like, I don't. You know, I'm just like kind of putting the whole social media, like how to tackle that with children. I'm putting that conversation in the back of my head and trying to postpone it for another like yeah. as many years as I can. <laughs> um, But, you know, I, I think it's it's obviously very important. I think to me, it's like, you know, it's just really important for parents to teach their kids on an ongoing basis about like, you know, what. The Internet is and what social media is and, you know, how you should value these things, because it's like, you know, you you see the big dangers for people to get so absorbed into social media. That's like they, that's all they care about. And I think it's it's nice to have these features in here where you can protect and filter content. But it's like it's more you got to take a more homo- holistic approach, I feel like. In terms of, like, you you want to have fun with your devices, and that's cool, but, like, there, there's more to life than just, you know, having your head stuck in social media all the time. And I think that's not necessarily a thing you can tackle with – you can put all the filters in a world uh, in an app or all the parental controls in an app, and you still won't – you know, you you need more than just filters and parental controls to, like, really teach some children how to, like, balance their lives both in the digital world and in the real world.
1: There's definitely like a, a more active, involved approach. I think that parents can do rather than just like, okay, screen time, that's it. But like you can have conversations while also using the tools available to you in these apps and technology itself. So I Kyle in our uh, chat already echoed support for that sort of episode. You would, you know, they say that they would love advice for their two boys, which is great. Uh, I, I'm sure in during the summer we'll get to that episode uh soon
2: yeah stuff, like yeah. teaching kids about scammers and you know fishing and like what that means and like you know why it's important that they consider what data they release online it's like you know there, there's definitely some something there yeah
1: and catfishing and all of that stuff um my mom had a very militant approach so i just it's very different um next There was also a little bit this week uh, in news from podcast land, and I I am tempted to throw this to Ben to kind of have him tell us why it's important and what happened. So Ben, tell us what's happening.
4: Okay, so SiriusXM announced that they are shutting down the Stitcher podcast app, which I think is pretty important because Stitcher is one of the main podcasts. Like platforms that people have uh, used for the last, you know, 10 or so years. We're coming up on 10 years since the big podcast renaissance that started with Serial. So, SiriusXM bought uh, Stitcher in uh, 2020 from EW Scripts, another, you know, big content company. And now they want to get people onto their SXM app. And so a lot of people to be loved clear Stitcher. That,
1: is, that is SXM not SNM no.
4: SXM serious <laughs> XM app. So a lot of people loved Stitcher for a lot of reasons. Stitcher like had um, a small content arm of its own. It also had a premium tier where you could just pay to get ad free podcasts and also in some cases like get uh, new episodes earlier than. Um, You otherwise would and with this change to sxm They're not going to be able to do that Um, People who already paid for stitcher premium are going to get like six months of Sxm premium, whatever the the paid tier is But you're still gonna need to listen to ads and that is the way things are going to be for the next you know, foreseeable future. We'll see if anything changes. This comes after Gimlet, Anchor, and Parcast were subsumed under the Spotify brand. All of this stuff is not so surprising. After Sirius bought Stitcher, you can only imagine that eventually they were just going to become one thing. Uh, it was only a matter of time before Spotify like really started bringing the businesses they bought closer to their brand, but it just feels like a significant sea change in the podcast landscape. People, would always say, "Oh, it's the wild West, wild West of podcasting. seems like there's a lot of consolidation happening now,
1: <laughs> so we'll keep paying attention to that, and uh, we'll always have, I'm, um, you know, topic close to Ben's heart, and of course, to our hearts, too, as podcast people. Um, one more piece of news this week that we wanted to shout out the creator of the lithium ion battery uh, passed away this week. And I knew this was worth mentioning when I said that. And Ben went, John Goodenough is it? Like, I was like, oh, okay, this is a name people know. I, I myself, wasn't very aware. Sam, any feelings about John Goodenough?
2: I mean, the guy was a legend. Like, you know, he, he not only was he, like, uh, helped break through, like, lithium-ion batteries, like, you know, he worked on some of the memory improvements on, like, what eventually became RAM, random access memory. Um, th- th- like, this guy is, like, he, his Alleged. career is like you, you could, like, I hopefully, you know, I want to read like a good biography about him someday. Um, but like, yeah, like, obviously a big loss, but like, this guy was like a really, you know, big name in terms of like a lot of the technology in the last like 50 years.
1: He was a uh, uh, hundred years old, and that was a good long, and it sounds like a really accomplished life that he led. So, uh, pour one out, rest in peace. <laughs> Moving on to what we're working on this week. Sam, what are you doing this week?
2: I am deep in testing the uh, Asus ROG Ally. You know, they're a kind of Steam Deck competitor. Um, and so uh, hopefully we'll have something for that uh, next week. Um, I'm trying to do a little bit different, more of a face off style review, um, just because it's like, who, like, you know, if you're t- thinking about buying a handheld gaming PC, what are the two choices? It's the Steam Deck or the ROG Ally. And so. I really want to dive down into that and, you know, try to give people some good advice about what to think about if they're considering getting one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, while we're talking about this, can you bring the Aya today to the office so I can see it?
2: (laughs) You you, you can have it. Yeah, I'll just give it to you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Um, Uh, But you're also, yeah, go on.
2: Yeah, so yeah, Sherlyn's trying to get on the uh, handheld gaming PC uh, bandwagon, so you got got to lend her some devices. And I'm also working uh, sort of in the background uh, on the Lenovo Yoga Book Nine I, which is their dual screen thing. Um, I got I got I to gotta bring out bring that out to some coffee uh, coffee places or cafes to like get people's reactions about like, yo, know, what is yes. this dual screen nonsense? Um, but yes. yeah.
1: Uh, I have been working on uh, helping, so we have a new team member I mentioned before, Malak has joined our team, she's our new health and fitness reporter, and she's very um, well connected in the uh, science and sort of uh, health side of medicine sort of side of things and we've been trying to do a bit more rigorous testing on the dyson zone that's happening this week i'm also doing some more uh reporting in the background for a story i'm very excited to have go up hopefully by the end of the next month so uh stay tuned we're also doing a bit of um rejiggering of the whole reviews program here at engadget we want to do just now that we have a few more people we want everyone to kind of learn what the engadget review structure is like but also with people like sam on board we want to like we codify and really make our reviews testing program so much more uh, scientific just just a better program overall i can't remember comprehensive structured like there's it's the tests are things that you can trust are both realistic and also repeatable anyway there's a lot of thinking that goes into this i know it looks like we just spit stuff out overnight but it's 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 a whole process so um hopefully We'll have something really good for y'all um, in the future. Around gadget 2, everyone on the team, specifically the commerce team and our senior commerce editor, uh, Valentina Palladino, they're hard at work because Amazon Prime Day is coming very soon. It was announced, I think, last week, uh, maybe, that Prime Day this year is, what, two days in July. I think July 14th and July either 13th or 15th, one of those. Um, So we'll have plenty of coverage on how to get the best deals, what the best deals are. Uh, So stay tuned to Engadget for all of that stuff. Maybe start putting stuff in your cart. See, keep an eye out on what you want. Uh, Time to get some good deals. Sam, I see uh, you are asking me what my pick might be this week for pop culture recommendations. Okay, so as always, I, you know wait till the last minute to do this because i don't i don't sit around enjoying myself i sit around playing solitaire on the phone and already last week i said let's play solitaire everybody i can't do that again this week though i uh, i think i might have recommended this on uh <laughs> this, this podcast before but i've been re-listening to a lot of J. cho music lately and yes and then going through some of his old discography and just remembering what bangers his entire early first three albums were so if you're into mando pop chinese pop at all which who knew who knows maybe they're the next thing after k-pop I not, that's the first um, time i've ever heard that term oh mando pop is the thing we say in asia but i think chinese c-pop i don't know c-rock i don't know um it's 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 nice j cho again when he came on the industry, he really blew a lot of people away. He just like, crossed genres like it was nobody's business. He infused modern music with like traditional instrumentation. It was just so good. Um, so if you speak Chinese at all, if you just want to hear how it's pronounced, his albums like Fantasy was his first one. Ye Hui Mei was a tribute to his mom. It's, I think, his second or third one. Um, his first three albums were just incredible. Uh, I'm getting such a kick. And then, of course... Those of you who don't want to listen to Mandarin or Chinese music, uh, I have a recommendation for you too. The other thing I do with my time now, instead of play Solitaire, is uh, the New York Times crossword app. I play Wordle, I play Spelling Bee, I play uh, even Tiles and, and the traditional crossword. This week, actually literally yesterday, I found out that the New York Times has added a new game to the app. It's called Letterboxd. It's a lot of fun. Um, it is, as always, a word game, a puzzle-based word game and uh, or a word-based puzzle game. It's basically a square where there's letters on each side and you have to form words uh, by using letters of non- like the letters can't be from the same side. So you have to jump to a different side each time. Um, really intriguing. Very cool. And then you have to clear all the letters and make sure you cover all sides within five moves. Very fun game. Uh, if you have the New York Times app, go check it out. Sam, what about you? What should I do other than play
2: uh, solitaire? Well, I, I actually definitely want to play. Out. I'm so one of my secret like long-term projects is I want to do a 365 day streak in Wordle, um, and so Ooh. I'm at 145 days right now. My last record was 180 days, and then I went on vacation, and the time change <laughs> screwed me yep. up. So uh, I'm trying to do that. So I, I'm like, I, I love spelling bees uh, in the New York yeah. Times app. So I'll have to try that out. But I mean, I'm just gonna. I want to watch more Marvel Secret Invasion. I think uh, obviously, like a lot of comic book fans, like this is like on their radar. I'm not like you know spilling any hot news to anybody. Um, And I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would because I hate the evil clone trope in like comic books. Uh, It's like one of my least favorite tropes. Um, Yeah. But I think they're making it work in this. Um, The second episode. Uh, they they kind of flesh it out in a way that I appreciate, um, and they have some you know some back and forth between uh, between Nick Fury and Rhodey in terms of like you know how they see their role in the you know in protecting the world and all that, um, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Well, I can't wait to watch that. I saw a little bit of it, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it, despite the evil clone trope. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for this week. Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Sam online
2: at... At Sam Rutherford on Twitter.
1: If you want to send me a uh, fun word games that I can play for free on the internet, uh, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe still on Twitter. Email us your thoughts at podcast Leave us a review please on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That bomb, that bomb, 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 bomb,